Hi, everybody. I'm Jason Cusick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey of Faith, and I want to say a, a special welcome to you. If you are with us for the very first time, you might be one of those people who maybe grew up with faith or religion, Christianity, or otherwise, and then kind of moved away from it for one reason or another. Or you might be someone like a lot of people that come to this church where maybe this is your first time in a church ever. And if that's you, I want to say welcome. Glad you're here. Hope it's encouraging and inspiring to you. I want to say hi to everybody at our Torrance campus on Lomita Boulevard. Hi to everybody at Torrance. Uh, loved being with you guys last week. Um, exciting that we can be connected like this. Also a big hello to everybody that's watching online. January is one of those times, uh, beginning of the year, where we kind of uh, start things off new and are excited about the new year. And so we started this series uh, called Right Side Up. And the idea behind this is that Jesus had these really kind of upside down teachings. He taught about, you know, love your enemies and do good without letting anyone know about it. And uh, you have to lose your life in order to gain your life. And so as we look at Jesus's teachings, I feel like we might be able to conclude that maybe it's the world that's upside down and Jesus is trying to get us right side up. So what we've been doing is looking at a collection of Jesus's most influential teachings in the New Testament. It's grouped together in a section that is popularly called the Sermon on the Mount. And here's where you can find it in the first book of the New Testament. And we've been going through section by section looking at Jesus's right side up teachings. And so the first week we looked at what's popularly called the Beatitudes. These are these eight statements about how to live a life that God blesses and that, that, that is a flourishing life with God. We looked at a section of Jesus's teachings about non-retaliation. How do you relate to people when they have hurt you. And then last week, Alex, our Torrance campus pastor, walked us through a section of Jesus's teachings about what we call intimacy with God. And that is the spiritual life is sometimes viewed as an outward religious thing you do, but the real strength and source of the spiritual life is something that is very private, even secret between us and God. And what does it look like to nurture that area of our lives? Today we're going to talk about the next topic that Jesus talks about in this collection of teachings, and it's these topics, money and possessions. And what we're going to read isn't the first time Jesus has brought this up. Jesus talked about this subject quite a bit. Even in the section called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we read this uh, in the first week, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of God is theirs. And then when Jesus talks about giving... He says earlier in this, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. A real challenging kind of teaching. But then even in the section that we kind of covered last week, um, Jesus says this, when you do give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Give your gifts in private. Jesus actually talked about money more than he talked about any other topic in the Bible. And I think he did that because whether you're living in today or you're living 2,000 years ago, money and possessions is something we all think about, and it's something we all struggle with. Now, this topic, I know this topic can kind of make 
make us all uncomfortable, maybe feel a little bit awkward. So let's level the playing field and make it awkward for all of us. So would you do me a favor? Would you take out your wallet and would you bring it up here? Just kidding. I'm going to just take out your wallet and I just want you to put it in your lap. I'm not going to ask you to spend anything. I'm not going to ask you to give anything. I just want you to take out your wallet. If you do your stuff on your phone, just take out your phone, put it in your lap as almost a symbolic way of saying, this is what we're talking about today. This is my wallet. It's actually a small wallet. I've been working for years to shrink down my wallet to get as, as little of stuff as possible in it. And it's gotten so small in the last few months that I've lost it about six times, <laughs> and, which I think is a good sign. But the, the most recent time I lost it, it's not this one, this is a newer one. The last one I lost, I lost it for like a week and a half. And normally I'll find it like a few hours later. This one, after about three or four days, I was like in a panic. And I was like, I got to call the bank, the ATM card, got to change that out. I don't normally carry a credit card with me, so I was like, I don't have to worry about that. My, my health care card stuff, um, I have an electronic key for work. So I had to let them know, hey, that, that key might be gone. We got to deactivate that key. And I usually don't carry a lot of cash with me. But for some reason, I, I don't know what it was. I had cash to check. And I had like a wad of cash in my wallet. And I was like, it's gone. And I was just like, oh, my money. And I was like, oh, no. And then, uh, and then one night I was uh, putting the clothes from the washer into the dryer. And guess what I found? I must have set the washer to incinerate. Because along with all my clothes were these fragments of dollars and artificial leather and <laughs> warped pieces of cards and all kinds of stuff. So I'm like loading the stuff in the dryer and then I'm pulling out these pieces and I'm putting together like a puzzle. I'm just like, okay, this is a dollar. This is my card. What is this? I think this is this. And at that moment, I realized I was on my knees like in a worship position in front of my money. And I was like, and I was all emotional and I was like, oh, maybe this has a lot more focus than it deserves, you know? And, and I thought in that moment, you know, maybe a good wallet washing is what Jesus wanted me to have. So I started thinking about Jesus' teachings and what he says about money, and it was a good experience for me. So what I want to do today is, is I want to share some of the teachings that Jesus said about money and possessions, and maybe for some of us it'll be a bit of a wallet washing for us. Because we're living here in the South Bay, 2024 is going to present a lot of challenges. One of them is going to be financial challenges. It could be work, it could be um, paying bills, it could be heading off to school, it could be moving or going into retirement and having to think about stuff like that. And um, a lot of us struggle with money and money preoccupies us. Whether you have a lot or a little, it's always on our minds. In fact, we did this Barna survey here at the church that we've talked about, and it looked at different areas of well-being, and one of those areas was finances, and look at this chart that we ended up getting from it. This big dip has to do with our relationship with finances. It's a significant issue for all of us at different stages in life. So here's the main idea of what I want to share with you today. We can trust Jesus with our finances. 
Now, how can we do that? Let's look at a section from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teachings. Here's where we can find it, Matthew 6. If you have a, a physical Bible that you carry with you and read from, you can open it up to Matthew 6. If you use your phone, uh, you can do that, and I'll be showing it here on the screen. But I want you to note this passage because I'm going to read some of this, but not all of it. There's actually a lot that Jesus says, and I'm going to take some, some parts of it. But then this week, if you can read it on your own, you might find that maybe even some of the parts I didn't read are the ones that, are, that stand out to you the most. So let me just read through some of this, and then we'll see what this has to say to us about trusting Jesus with our finances. Here's what Jesus says. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths can eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal and washing machines incinerate. No, that's not in it. But it is interesting. Look at how he starts. He says, here's the three ways you'll lose your money and possessions. Moths, rust, thieves. Anything you own will be destroyed in one of these three ways. It's all temporary. He says, store your treasures in heaven. Why? Where moths and rust cannot destroy. And thieves do not break in and steal. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. He says, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? He says, and why are you worried about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, this great historical uh, king of the Jewish, uh, the Jewish kingdom, who was known for his elaborate dress, in all his glory he wasn't dressed as beautifully as these flowers, these lilies. And if God cares so wonderfully for even the wild flowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. What does Jesus have to say to us about trusting him with our finances? Let me share with you a couple of ways. Let's go back to, there's so much here, a lot to say. But let me go back to one statement that just really leapt out at me. It's this. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. What Jesus is doing here is he's kind of tapping into something we all know. He's saying we all have things in life that are in competition with each other. You know, when you have, you're invited to two things, you're like, I really want to go to this. Like, I'm supposed to go to this, right? Or, or most of us in the South Bay, if you're, if you're married, it's a dual-income family. You're both working. It's like, oh, I got this schedule. I got this. How do I do this time off? It, a lot of us might even have more than one job. When my wife and I got married, uh, she had two jobs and I had three. 
And when you have more than one job, you're kind of like, oh, I, I want to spend more time at this one, but I, they don't have the hours. I don't really like this one, but this is where I get my insurance from. You know, and you feel that competition. You're always having to make those choices. Some of us, we, uh, we go to school and we work. And it's like, oh, there's that tension. And we're having to choose. Sometimes we have a job and a side hustle. Now, Jesus is not saying don't have two jobs. Jesus is saying it's not about not working while you're going to school or don't have a dual-income family or don't have a job and a side hustle, what he's saying is if money and our pursuit of money and possessions, that we give the same energy to that as we give to our spiritual life, money will be the focus, God will be our side hustle. And he's saying don't do that. And the reason uh, I think he's trying to say that is this line right here. He says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And this is, I was reading about this a little bit because I wanted to know what Jesus was saying when he said enslaved to money. The earliest copies of the New Testament that we have are in the Greek language. And in the Greek language, that phrase enslaved to money is just one word in Greek. And it's this word. It's the word mammon. And the word mammon actually just means worldly wealth or possessions. But when English translators bring this idea into the New Testament, a lot of English translators just leave that word untranslated and they capitalize it because they're trying to get at something that we think Jesus was trying to get at. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the money God. And he's saying, don't do that. That's one of the first ways. One, one idea I want to share with you about how we can trust Jesus with our finances. Here's one way. By, be, by being released from slavery to money. Now, I think I say this, most of you are like, well, we're not, I'm not a slave to money. And I thought about, oh, I should say this point. And I, think, I don't think any of us really think I'm a slave to money. Maybe I shouldn't say this. But some of us are. Some of us know it. Some of us might not know it. Here's four ways to know if you're a slave to money. The first one, people are concerned. People have told you. You're focused too much on money. You talk about money too much. You think about money too much. Some of you, they're like, you have put making money and saving money ahead of loving your family. And your family's paid for it. Is that you? Have people said that to you? Now, of course, the second way is they have said it to you, but you minimize it. You go, well, it's not really that big of a deal. Not really. I'm not a slave to money. Yes, I focus on money, maybe a little bit more than I should have, but you minimize it. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a problem. Or you justify it. Well, I have to make this amount of money. I have to work harder to keep that standard of living. I have all these bills to pay or I have all these things to do with the money. And around here, the difficulty is, is sometimes we increase our standard of living and then we have to pursue money to keep our standard of living. And then what we end up doing is we blame our standard of living for our focus on our money. Rather than, what if I kept my standard of living and actually had more discretionary income? We minimize, we justify, and then maybe one more, and this is probably the worst, you spiritualize it. You go, well, God's blessing me. Like, all this money, I got to focus on it because God's blessing me. Or worse, you say, 
I need to make more money. I want to make more money because if I had more money and more possessions, I could be more focused on God. Or if I had more money, I'd be more generous. But the research shows us if you're not generous with a little bit of money, you're usually not generous when you get more. What is your relationship with money and possessions? I can tell you mine, I tend to be a hoarder. Now, I'm not a spender, I'm a hoarder, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the clinical hoarding, which is a serious, significant issue related to trauma and ungrief losses. I just mean, when I get money, I tend to save it. And then people go, that's good, you're saving money. It looks good, but I'm saving it because I'm afraid it might not come later. Essentially, the issue that Jesus is talking about when he talks about money and money and possessions, it's not about money and possessions. It's about what money and possessions represent. Trust, security, safety, peace of mind. And what Jesus is saying that for a lot of us, we look for safety, security, peace of mind, and confidence in the future more in money than we do in God. And Jesus said, that's not the approach I want you to have. I want you to put your spiritual life above that. How do we do that? Here's an action step I want to recommend to you. Release one more segment of your finances to his care. Now, I say one more because most of us have done this already. Again, I don't, I don't want you to think of what Jesus is saying and what we're talking about here as, as judgment, because sometimes you talk about finances and money, there's a lot of shame and condemnation that can go on. Don't think of it as Jesus judging. Think of it as Jesus inviting us to do what we already want to do. We we want to have more confidence and trust in God when it comes to our finances. We want to move in that direction. Some of you already had. Some of you, when you see someone in need, you go, I don't know if I have a lot of extra money, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Some of you, you don't have a lot of discretionary income, but when you see a charity that needs something, you go, you know, I'm going to give. So you're already releasing finances into God's care already, and that's doing something for you. What would be the next step? One of the images that we use here at church uh, all the time is what we call the generosity ladder. And this is referring to giving to God through the local church. But it can be extra extrapolated into, into life in general and our relationship with our money and our possessions. So the first thing is that first-time giver, that time where I've, I've never really trusted God with my finances. Meaning I've never actually given to something that God wants me to give to. My finances are my own. I spend on my own. I spend what I want. What would it look like to say, I'm gonna go ahead and take that risk. I'm gonna go ahead and step out and give to God's plans. Some of you have done that, but it's usually kind of, it's not intentional. It's kind of like, oh, I got, do I got something? It's not like, oh, I'm gonna plan for that. I'm gonna plan a certain amount and make it a regular spiritual discipline in my, along with prayer and Bible reading and church attendance, I'm gonna make generosity part of my spiritual strength conditioning. Maybe that's the next step for you. Another step is what's been called percentage giving. When I first became a Christian, the church I was in, 
I was like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And they were like, well, you gotta read your Bible, you gotta pray, you gotta obey Jesus, and you gotta give 10% of your income to God through the local church. And I was like, okay. I didn't even ask any questions. They didn't even explain a lot of it to me. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I'm actually kind of happy that they didn't like get into a lot of the details because I think I'd have talked them down to 2%. I'd have been like, 10% is too much. I can't, really, I can't really go for that. But what happened is, and I wasn't making a lot of money, but it was like I started thinking only 90% is mine. 10% God. And then I kept that so as my standard of living went up, it was like, well, that's already locked in. That's part of God's. And it really helped me think through when I receive money or when I receive possessions, how much of it is really mine and how much of it is God wanting to trust me with it and work through me. And then the last one is abundant, where you're kind of like, some of you have like the gift of giving. And that's like, like, I want to give more to what God is. You support missionaries around the world, you give at church, you find charities, and you have the gift of giving, which means God allows you actually to not just make money, but also to like be able to sustain yourself on less and less so you can be more charitable. That's the gift of giving. Now, don't confuse that with some of you who say you have the gift of spending. That's, that's, that's just, oh, I love giving. No, you love spending. You know That's a different kind of thing. But what would it look like to prioritize God as not just the source of your finances and your possessions, but also a recipient? Even as you look at your overall financial outlook. Here's a question I ask people sometimes. Is God's mission the first and greatest investment in your financial portfolio? Because God's mission is the stuff that moths don't eat up and rust doesn't decay and thieves don't steal. You're focused on doing God's work. So again, back to the action step. Release one more segment of your finances to his care. And, and maybe it's good to note that if if essentially what Jesus is talking about is trust and generosity, um, a lot of that is shaped by our home of origin. Some of us grew up in homes that emphasized scarcity. We had a scarcity mentality. There's only so much money out there. If I make a lot of money, they lose money. And I only have so much money. If I spend it, it's gone. If I give it, it's gone. So we have to hang on to what we have or else we'll lose it. That's very different than a home that was raised with a generosity mindset saying, if I make more money, that isn't taking away from somebody. There's money out there for all of us. And if I can give, God has a way of taking care of me because I'm doing God's work. That's a very different mindset. So some of us might have to kind of allow God to reparent us a little bit, to have more of a generosity mindset, which is what God has. And then some of us who are raising small kids, we might want to think, what, what am I communicating to my kids about money and possessions? And, and how can I help them have a, a view of our money and possessions that's really shaped around God's love for us? Not the fear that God will not take care of us. And that's the second point here in Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount about finances that can help us trust with our finances, and it's this. Uh, we can trust Jesus by considering his deep care for our lives. God loves us. God loves you. God wants to bless you and take care of you. 
And when Jesus was talking to the people in his day where he was doing this sermon for that we have recorded here, most of the people he was talking to were poor. And most of the people we were talking to were living in an agricultural community. So Jesus was like, do you want to know how God takes, it, takes care of you? Go outside. And he said, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. God takes care of them. He's going to take care of you. This is one of the beautiful things that we have about living in the South Bay. We've got the beach. We've got the mountains. All you have to do is go outside. When we're anxious, when we're concerned about how God will take care of us, we look out there and we go, there's obviously enough water, not just for me, but for everybody else. Look at all these trees. Look at the mountains. God is an abundant God who wants to lavish on humanity all these beautiful and wonderful things. If he is taking care of this world, even as we're kind of screwing it up, God seems to still be taking care of it, and we reap the benefits. If God's doing that, of course, he's going to care for me. Not only is he going to care for me, but those resources aren't just for me, they're for everybody else, which means I can be generous. Here's an action step. Give away something important to reduce its hold on you and bring strength to someone else. What is something important in your life that you go, I've been hanging on to this thing, and you know what? Somebody else might need it. My son and I go to estate sales every Saturday, and it's so fun to have somebody, to, to see people come in and go, oh my gosh, I've been looking at, I've been wanting to get one of these for years. And you know what? It was in this person's house. And they've been hanging on to it, and it's probably been in storage. And now, two people are bartering over it for $1.50. By the way, that's the end result of all of our lives. Okay, We invest in people, we invest in God, we invest in our character, and everything, you else, everything else you have will be bartered over for $5 or less at an estate sale. There's something about seeing our lives as much bigger than our money and our possessions. So I've been trying to think like that. I, I always think about the estate sale that happens after I die. And I'm like, what do I currently have and if I haven't worn it, used it, or decorated my house with it in one year, I give it away. Because there's a good chance somebody else wants it, except I don't know it yet. And maybe God has already given it to somebody else. Now, unfortunately, I do this a lot with my wife's possessions. And that's not good. She's like, where's my thing? And I'm like, I gave it to somebody that needed it. I'm so sorry. So I've been learning, like, don't do it with other people's stuff. But what would it look like to be more generous, to be able to give that stuff away? Because here's the question. See, some of us, we, we think we're, we're holding our possessions, but in fact, our possessions are holding us. Here's what we talked about today. We can trust Jesus with our finances. Be released from that slavery. Admit it, own it, take some steps. And then second, consider his deep love and care for our lives. Ultimately, our understanding of our possessions and our money are intimately rooted to our understanding of God's love for us. Have you invited God to give you a wallet 
washing so that you could start seeing God's beautiful plan for your freedom and for the good of others based on his love and care for you. You can put your wallet away now. Let's all stand. We're going to close. I'm going to pray for us for this. If, if you'd like prayer, uh, you can stay after our service. We're going to have our prayer team over here at our cross uh, here at Manhattan Beach as well as at Torrance. If you're new with us, you want to know more about the church, uh, definitely come back next week. We're going to continue talking about Jesus' teachings. We also have a connections area right outside where um, someone can connect with you, answer your questions. And if you're not able to make it to our business meeting, uh, head outside, you can get a ballot, you can vote and get that done now, that would be great. Let me pray for us, thanks so much. God, you are amazing. You get us thinking differently about things. And in this area, God, our finances and money and our possessions, uh, they mean so much to us, but usually it's because of what they represent. We know they're not bad. You're not calling us to look at money and finances and possessions as bad and spirit as good. No, they're good things. But sometimes it's easy for us to get enslaved to good things. Help us turn that around and work in our hearts and our lives this week to make some intentional choices to put you first. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week.